hello out there, you zany zebras. Welcome back to another episode of A Little Greener. This is a weekly podcast covering anything and everything related to nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I am here as always with my wonderful co-host, Casey. Hey, everybody. How are you doing this week, Casey? You know what? I'm doing all right. It was very Good. warm earlier, and uh, but I had some time outside. I got to Yay. go kayaking this week, so it was a good way to just relax and recharge a little bit. How about you? I'm also doing okay. Yeah, very warm, but I I like the warm weather, so that was good. We also got some storms. We did. Which I got to be inside for, and so that was delightful. And, I and your trees didn't blow down? My trees didn't fall over. Good for you, uh, trees. I didn't get... Some people got hail, though. Some people got yeah. significant hail, and I hope everybody is okay and didn't sustain any damage. But I got none of that, so I just got to enjoy a nice little thunderstorm. I also... This has nothing to do with nature, but the Olympic trials have been going on. That's your jam. I'm obsessed <laughs> with the Olympics, and I'm so excited excited about these trials. And if you're not watching, you should be because people are becoming Olympians right now. And it's very exciting. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's been my week. It's been, uh, been pretty decent, pretty good week. Glad to be back here with you as always for another yeah. week. Yeah. Did you do your homework? Sort of. So uh, if you are new to the podcast, again, we, at the end of every episode, we throw out a couple of actions or challenges uh, that we suggest for you to take during the week to help you connect to nature, live a little more uh, sustainable lifestyle, that, that sort of thing. And last week, we talked about insects, correct? I'm not mixing up my weeks. We talked about insects last yes, week. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> so we record a little bit in advance. So sometimes I forget which one we just recorded versus what we just posted. So uh, yeah, we talked about insects last week and we had some challenges for you that were geared towards just paying a little more attention attention to these little creatures that are sometimes overlooked and sometimes downright uh, disliked by people. So we wanted to try to spend a little more time getting to know them and appreciating them and thinking a little bit about the ways that they live. I will say this past week, I, uh, I have had a lot going on. And so my nature time, I don't know if I got my two weeks of outdoor time in. And so I didn't do a whole lot of insect exploration. I had a couple of just fun moments. Uh, one was at, I was at work and somebody, uh, I was outside and uh, somebody just had a carpenter bee that was just kind of flying all over her and just wasn't leaving her alone. Carpenter bees tend to be pretty um, I don't know, laid back for lack of a better word. Uh, you don't have to usually be too worried about them. Uh, but this carpenter bee, and, and she was very good about it. She just let it land right on her. And it was like crawling around her hand. And it thing. just kept, yeah, just, you know, looking for food, I expect. But uh, seemed to be very interested in this one individual. And so it was kind of fun to just see it up close. And, and, and again, I was very... Uh, happy to see her response that she just kind of stood there and, and let him do his thing. So that was kind of fun. It went on for several minutes actually, uh, before the bee decided to move on. And then I just had an encounter with a beetle in my backyard. Um, that was sort of random. 
I was out there looking at my plants and uh, are they alive? They're alive. They are very much surrounded by a lot of weeds. <laughs> a lot of very tall weeds that I really need to pull, but they are still alive. Um, so I just came across this beetle and um, I believe, oh shoot, I forget what, a, a big headed ground beetle, I believe is what it is. And I'll get uh, more about that actually in our review section today. But uh, yeah, he was just kind of crawling all over a leaf. Again, I don't, know anything about these beetles so I don't know what he was doing but he just kept kind of going up to the top of the leaf and kind of waving his appendages around and then going back down so but he was cool he was pretty kind of shiny so that was it just a couple of isolated moments not necessarily specific insect searching or pondering <laughs> well that I mean Hey, if your assignment comes right up uh, upon you and it's like, right. hello, here we are. Yeah. That's the great thing, I guess, about bugs is that you don't have to search very far for them mm -hmm. very hard. They're everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I kind of two moments within our, our kind of challenge this week. Um, first, I think it was the night we recorded that podcast. There was a moth in the house and I tend to get a little bit annoyed with these moths just because we get pretty many of them and they're small. And, but then I was like, okay, my challenge was to be like empathetic towards this moth. And it, it was like flying around and clearly very confused, like sure. could not figure out. And all of a sudden I got very emotionally invested in this <laughs> moth. Cause I was like, this poor moth is so confused about what's going on. And it just wants to be outside and finding actual, whatever it needs to be doing. And they can't do that in here. And so I like, chased it around waited for it to land and put it in a cup and then took it outside so I think that was a very successful moment well done within, yes within that having empathy yeah. oh speaking of storms we've got a little bit of oh, really? thunder here if you guys can hear it um can, can I I know you have another yes uh, insect incident to share but can I interrupt with a cockroach story Sure. <laughs> that, you, that this made me think of. No, when you talk about, you know, thinking about being empathetic and obviously, you know, insects may not have the mental complexity or, you know, that side of things necessarily. I mean, there's a lot we don't know about them, but it does help to kind of think about it that way. This insect is clearly not where it's supposed to be and it's trying right. to get where it's supposed to be and it's confused. So I, I have cockroach phobia, right? And, uh, there was an incident where I was living in Texas and, you know, just in, in an apartment and it hadn't been out there for too long. I was talking to my, to my mom on the phone and then all of a sudden I just flip out because I, I looked up and there was a cockroach just right there on the wall by my bookshelf and I flipped out and I'm like crying and I get my roach spray and I'm spraying the heck out of the thing and all of this and I'm just like, sort of panicking a little bit like how I can't like I have to like go to sleep here in this and then there's this giant cockroach and I don't know where it went and like freaking out and you know so my mom has to talk me down she wrote me a little like short story oh point of view of a cockroach oh and I've never felt, your mother I know she's <laughs> like well, I mean it was fun she was just kind of practicing her her writing skills I think is what inspired her to, to do it but it did help me be a little more empathetic towards bugs in general. I still have a cockroach phobia and I'm still not going to be able to 
do anything other than spray them when I see them in my house. I'm sorry. That's just where I'm at personally uh, in my journey. But uh, but it did. It, it was interesting to just really stop and think like, oh, what must this be like from the other side? And so, again, I think that was sort of a, a good idea that you had for this this exercise. Yeah, that, that inability for them to complete whatever natural behavior that they're attempting to complete, like, Mm -hmm. you know, being in the wrong environments, definitely. I think a easy thing to kind of emphasize with is like, oh no, I need to do something and I can't, can't do it. I don't know why. Uh, the second thing I had is I did spend my two hours out in nature this week. And when we were kayaking, we were on a tandem kayak, uh, Andrew and I, because my fingers messed up if you're a a listener of several episodes, (laughs) you've been following that saga. Um, but that also meant I just got to sit and do no work while he was paddling (laughs) around. And we really, like we mentioned last week, have not seen a lot of those 17 year cicadas around here, but man, down at the river where we were at, there were so many. Ah, it's so cool. Super cool, but mostly drowning. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you oh, would dear. hear like their little scream and then like oh. they would, you, we were scooping them up on our oars and making this like cicada little raft for them. And so a bunch, some of our friends were like, gross but uh, several of our friends were like yeah so we're all like scooping them up with our little oars and putting them on our our boat so they can dry out a little bit and one of my friends like Darcy you know Darcy yeah Darcy was putting her finger on one of their heads and it would go and you know stop so like they are responding to stimulus and everything Uh there are a lot of dragonflies around which was cool but also we were like you know making mood mood music for them because some of them were uh getting it on their thing doing their thing doing what all animals gotta do so uh so it was very good bug, bug watching water, but it, uh, bug watching activities. But I will say some of the, those cicadas would dry out and then fly directly. Right back back to the water. <laughs> One of our other friends says it's, it's actually towards the end of their life cycle right now. And they're yeah. just kind of naturally dying anyway. Um, but it was like, I just, you spent half an hour on my boat. I worked to save you. <laughs> Come on. But yeah, I mean. Nothing uh, you can do when they're flying out. Right. Yes. They don't have a very long, uh, no, <laughs> as, as adults. So, uh, I love that. Just the image of you all with your little, little cicada, cicada life friends. And our friend Kyle nice. was like, oh, this one's a girl. You're going to go over here. And the boys will <laughs> go there. So <laughs> it was very cute. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I'm very jealous that you got to see them though. I just don't think it's going to happen. I got actually really excited on the drive to work this morning because I had my windows down and I thought I heard what was cicadas. And then it turned out it was somebody like cutting branches out of their, like an electric chainsaw or whatever. I was like, well, that's the opposite of. <laughs> Friends, I would have brought you pictures, but we were in a kayak and I was very nervous about my phone falling Fair. overboard. But Fair. yes, they've got like what? weird little red eyes. Yeah. Uh, well, well done. Well done to you for your, your outdoor time Mission and your, your insect appreciation. Yes. Um, semi-related, not really related to this, but I did want to touch on some uh, news that has come out of the mid-Atlantic here in the U.S. in recent days um, on some bird stuff. So if you listen to episode three, you know that we talked a little bit about providing safe habitat for backyard birds. And unfortunately, we are seeing what they think might be a disease outbreak in a lot of feeder birds right now in states like Kentucky, Virginia, DC, Ohio. And so in some of those states, they have put out recommendations to stop feeding the birds 
Um, and something we talked about in the episode is that one of the downsides of feeding birds is it is a gathering place for them at resources and that there are, is more disease transmission at those sites. And that if you do see any ill birds, you really should be taking those feeders down. And in those areas, you should look at what your local guidelines are saying, um, because they're trying to stop that mortality event. The reason I say it's tangentially related is one of their theories and actually what they're hopeful that it is, is that it is something related to those 17 year cicadas. Oh, because the emergence of this disease started right around the same time that those bugs started coming out. They don't know if they had pesticides on them or what's exactly happening, but they were like, if it is that, then we don't have to worry about it again. But right now, some of the rescue centers who are taking them in, um, that just, there's no helping those birds and they've just had wow. to go straight to euthanizing them. So if you are in the mid Atlantic, keep an eye out. If you are feeding birds, maybe it's time to take those feeders down for right now while they figure out what's going on. Um, but I did want to update people cause that's something that's pretty local to us. And, uh, and I think would be important for some of our listeners too. Yeah. Thanks Casey. I had not heard about that. So thanks for bringing it to our attention. Yeah. Now I have a get to know you question for the week, Sarah. Um, and it's related to our topic, which is a little more sustainability related. Do you have a favorite item of clothing that's in your closet? No, (laughs) I'm going to be terrible about this. Uh, I am not, uh, I'm not very stylish. Let's just put it that way. And I don't do much. And I have to wear a uniform for work. So uh, there's not a whole lot of clothing that I would say I'm super attached to. I'm trying to think, I feel like there must be something, but honestly, my, my favorite clothing items are like my sweatpants and my hoodies and that sort of thing. Um, I have a lot of like I've talked about running before. I have a lot of race shirts that I really like, which again, I will probably touch on this today. Probably not, definitely not the most environmentally friendly clothing option out there, but there are a lot, like my first, my shirt from the first marathon that I ran is, you know, maybe one of my favorites, but I don't have like an item that I'm especially attached to or anything like that. My pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it reflects your it your preferred state in yes. life. <laughs> Whatever I can wear to be comfortable sitting <laughs> on my couch at home is my preferred clothing item. What about you? Uh I think my favorite item of clothing right now. So last year, especially like overalls were in style. Mm-hmm. And I was a kid who was like very overall my pop-up was a farmer and he would wear overalls and I was like yes (laughs) I want and they went out of fashion like a long time ago but they came back in fashion but they were also something that I was like do I want to spend the money at do I just like them for the nostalgic reason like am I actually gonna wear them am I gonna feel weird if I'm wearing them and so I put them like my sister is a person who is very uh present oriented. Like if there's a birthday or (laughs) Christmas coming up, you Mm -hmm. better have a list two months in advance. (laughs) Um, and I'm very bad at that, but I said, Oh, a pair of overalls. And she bought them for me. They're like this olive green, which is one of my favorite colors, linen pair of overalls. So they're also super light. I have never felt more myself in a piece of clothing oh, that's awesome. before. 
so we got them last year and we're doing like a lot of quarantine and I would just like be in my garden and like have a little tank top underneath them and I felt cute but also Mm -hmm. like industrious or whatever (laughs) so uh so I think that's right now my favorite I do have certain like nostalgic pieces like my first Quidditch t-shirt yeah um that's like I'm so protective of I'm never wear it because I'm terrified of ruining it um so but yeah so that's my favorite thing that's in my closet right now I feel like this was like a mini personality profile a little bit too I like this (laughs) yeah and we'll talk a little bit more about like how clothing is really personal to everyone and so we're gonna today talk about like making a sustainable wardrobe but I want to be really sensitive that like clothing reflects personality Mm -hmm. and preferences and so we want to give suggestions that are kind of open and out there for as many people as possible but first a review from Sarah stay tuned Welcome back, everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started with the review section of our episode today. This is one that oh, I this is going to be sort of a p- preliminary review. I wish that <laughs> I'd had a little more time with this than than I actually got, but I'm excited about it. So I wanted to go ahead and share it, even though I, I may not have the full full scope of how I feel about it yet. But I have a, a, a nature app. For you. So we've talked about a few different apps over the, the course of our podcast so far, and I'm sure there will be many more to come. But one of the apps that we've talked about in a few different episodes is the iNaturalist app. If you're not familiar with iNaturalist, it's kind of a community science-based app where you can just basically post pictures of anything that you see, any any Uh, anything in nature, be it plant or animal, you can post and you can either post it with an identification or you can post it and get people to identify it for you. Sometimes there will be people who are doing projects on iNaturalist that you can contribute your photos to, that sort of thing. Um, So I've used iNaturalist for a while. I really enjoy that app. Um, And then just a couple of weeks ago, I think I was searching for a plant ID app, I think is what I was looking for. Because of course, the thing with iNaturalist is you can take a picture and post it. But if you don't know what it is, you might not get an ID or you might not get an ID for a little while. So I was looking for an app that would identify plants more instantaneously to help me uh, help me learn about plants that I've got around me, all those weeds that are growing up around my <laughs> flowers. And um, so this Seek app just kind of popped up in, in my recommendations. And so I tried that out and it turns out the Seek app is actually sort of in conjunction with iNaturalist. So I, I believe it's been around actually for a couple of years as best as I could tell, but I'd somehow never heard of it uh, until now. And the cool thing about it is it will try to give you that instantaneous identification. So you can pull it up, you can pull up uh, the camera and just kind of hold it in front of the plant or animal that you're trying to identify. And it's cool with the plants, at least it will, it'll start to identify it. Like it'll go through the different 
groups uh, and kind of get more and more specific as you sort of move it around and try different angles um, until it gets up to like genus level or species species level identification. So sometimes it might not be able to identify exactly what species it is, but it's going to give you, you know, the class or the genus or whatever that it belongs to. So it can at least give you a place to start. So it's cool. It'll do that instantaneously, but then you can also directly through that app, take a photo of it. You can just do that. You can take a photo of it, or you can take a photo and submit it to iNaturalist as well. So you can still have that sort of community science based aspect of it, um, where you get your identification or at least a partial identification, and then you can still post and submit that through iNaturalist. So I think it's really cool that the struggles that I've had so far with it are some glitchiness to the app. I will say I have a very old phone. <laughs> with a very full memory. So some of this might be due to my device and not the app, um, but I've had some instances where I have gone to take a photo and like, it'll give me an identification. I've gone to take a photo and then it'll just give me the spinning wheel of death or it will shut down or whatever. And so I've had Gosh, to close, yeah. Yeah, close it down and, and restart it. Um, but again, that might just be due to my my device. Um, and it, And then it's not always gonna be able to identify everything for you as well. So I've had some things where it, it couldn't get a specific identification and I haven't played around too much with different sized things. Like if I were trying to identify a tree, for example, I don't know, like I've been doing smaller right. things that I can get up closer to and that sort of thing. Um, and then it also did have a hard time. I, I did find a very small insect earlier today. I think a small beetle of some kind, but it was too small and moving too quickly. I couldn't get it in focus on the camera. So it definitely has limitations, but I think think for, again, just for anybody who's looking to just spend a little more time outside and, and get to know things a little better. You know, I have like, again, I have all of these plants in my backyard. Couldn't tell you what a single one of them <laughs> is other than the ones that I put there. So I think this is going to be a really fun thing for me to just be able to go and start putting a name to things. And then, you know, I think by knowing something's name, you automatically feel a little more connected to it. So, oh yeah. Right. So I enjoy the app and I think it's very user friendly. I think sometimes people get a little confused by iNaturalist and aren't sure kind of how to upload or what things to put um, in the different categories as you're posting a photo. But I've found Seek to be pretty smooth and intuitive. It also does have like a challenges section, uh, which again, I haven't looked at too much, but it's each month they have a different challenge. Um, so they've done like a pollinator challenge, an herbivore challenge, an ecosystem challenge, and you can click on them and it'll kind of explain what it, what it wants you to do. And you can earn badges for completing these different challenges. So it's got some That's ways. Cool. Yeah. It's trying to get people uh, more, more involved and connected to nature. So, um, I'm again, I'm surprised I hadn't heard of it before now, but I think, and it's just called the seek app seek and uh, S E E K. And I think it's, I think it's a fun one. That's awesome. I, that sounds like a really good resource for people who are trying to like make the most of their 
if you're hearing us say two hours a lot, there was a challenge earlier in episode two, and that is the amount of time that you're supposed to spend in nature in order to feel the full benefit of having spent that time in nature. And it can be in chunks or a whole thing. And so we try and use that as a benchmark, but I think that's a really cool way to enhance that time outside is to explore what living things are surrounding you. And like you said, if you can identify them, you, you have a better chance of being able to understand them. I think that's why birders love birding right? to a certain extent. It's like, uh, it's like, ah, Pokemon. Like right. I, I found that one. <laughs> yes. I found that one. Uh, yeah. and that's probably, probably part of the reason that I just don't connect with birding as much. So it sounds well, very useful. Yeah. Um, and I should mention, I, so the, the insect that I found in my backyard earlier, the I believe it was called the big-headed ground beetle. That was ID'd through the Seek app. Now, again, the other caveat to this is I can't say de definitively that that is the correct ID, right. but it does give you uh, like a link to that animal's page so you can see some other photos of it, learn a little bit more about it if it's been ID'd elsewhere around you. Um, and then it'll also show you some similar species so that you can scroll through and see if you think that's what it is. The first time I tried to ID this same beetle using the Seek app, it came up as a type of bee. <laughs> which I knew was wrong. So I don't know much about insects, but I know my bees from my beetles. And uh, we need better cameras on our phones. Right. So, I mean, yeah. again, it was a, a, a moving insect and I was trying to get around and, and get the right view of it through the grass and everything. So um, it's definitely not infallible, but I think that it's, uh, you know, again, a fun resource that can help point you in the right direction. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing, Sarah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, stick around, folks. We'll be back in just a moment with our main discussion for today. Welcome back everyone to the main discussion for our episode today. Today, as our title I'm sure implies, are talking about building a more sustainable wardrobe. Um, so of course, everything that we do has some sort of cost to it, whether it be an environmental cost and a social cost to it. And fashion is no different. The things that we consume have resources that are tied to it. And fashion has actually changed a lot, especially in the, just the last 20 years. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the issues that the expanding fashion industry has posed, and then some ways that we in our own lives, because consumers have a huge impact on this industry, can start to be a little bit more environmentally friendly. So a little bit of background, Sarah, have you heard of the term fast fashion before? I have heard of the term fast fashion, but that's really about it. And it's yeah. probably mostly like seeing articles tied to fast fashion and its impact on the environment that I haven't really read through too much. But yeah, so I'm I'm familiar with it as a term. I don't even feel like I really understand what fast fashion is. So. Sure. Um, so my understanding is that this term was coined in the 1990s by the New York Times to describe the fashion brand Zara. And basically the uh, fashion industry historically like became commercialized in the 1900s. Like prior to that, basically everybody was selling their own clothes mm -hmm. or going to the local seamstress. And so you really knew kind of 
where all your clothing came from and how much work actually went into making sure each of your individual clothing items uh, existed. And then it became more commercialized, but in the early 2000s, things really sort of shifted. So you went from designer labels really coming out with maybe what we consider two seasons of clothing a year where they put out new styles. So maybe you had your spring collection and your fall collection and it, it reflected the actual quote seasons to starting to come out with an accelerated pace of fashion, new styles all the time. And those new styles were produced very, very quickly, but also very, very cheaply as well. Mm-hmm. And so it made changing clothing items a lot more accessible to the normal consumer. And so today you hear a lot of the brands like Zara and H&M producing new styles and where it used to be every like every twice a year. Now we're looking at one to two weeks between collections. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So it is crazy. The acceleration of pace. Um, now to me, this is extra crazy because there are only 365 days in a year. Right. You only need so many outfits. You only need so many outfits, but really like the pace of clothing being produced has accelerated massively. And I think the statistic I saw was something like we've increased our consumption of clothing, like 60% or something like that in just the last like two decades. Wow. But other statistics have been much, much higher. And we'll talk about some of the problems with those statistics, but, um, some of the things that have led to that is first of all, further disconnect between consumers and producers. So same way that we're like very unfamiliar with how our food is produced. We are very unfamiliar with how our clothing is actually produced. And so we don't actually, it's a hidden cost to how we are consuming things. Um, The internet has also pushed some of this forward as well. If you can think about your influencers on Instagram feeling like they need to have a new outfit every time that they make a post or a celebrity having some sort of clothing item that is now financially more accessible. People, everybody wants it. It just drives this consumption up more as well as ads. I get ads all the time from places like Sheen and Lulu's dresses, just like very cute things that catch my eye. Uh, I will say fast fashion really came across the same time as I was starting to have disposable income. Mm -hmm. So like, I remember going to forever 21 and being like, whoa, the choices. (laughs) Cause I grew up mostly on hand-me-downs when I was very little. And then by the time I got into middle school, trying to cut, I'm also very unfashionable as far as the broader trends of things go. And I feel like I'm still sort of establishing what my style is. I feel like it's always going to be sort of a complicated journey for me, but I remember going and being like, Hey, forever 21 has all sorts of cool, like little boho clothes Mm -hmm. and the t-shirts are like $3. So let me buy all of them. Did you ever, have you purchased clothing from any of those sorts of stores? Not often. I will say I've just never, and please I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm, this is not a critique of anybody who enjoys clothes or right. because I, I know lots of people who are just enjoy that. Like that's, that's their thing. It's just, it just never really has been my thing. My clothing weakness though is, is, is t-shirts and hoodies. Honestly, it sounds silly, but I've told, I've told Casey this before, like I will do anything for a t-shirt. Like I, <laughs> um, I, <laughs> we do like a good free t-shirt. <laughs> uh, free t-shirts are great. Um, so, you know, my comment of you only need so many outfits, if that came across as a little bit flippant, 
please come look at my t-shirt drawer. <laughs> you will know that I'm not trying to judge anybody in that way. But no, I never, I, I, maybe for a brief period in high school, maybe, but I, I think that's why I'm just so unfamiliar with the world of, of fashion in general. Well, even in college, like college is really where it really hit me because there would be parties and then it would be like a themed party. And mm. so you're going to go in this. And so you're like, Oh, I gotta look cute for this particular theme. It's like very much drove things. Um, and this, this clothing is very cheaply made. So it is really not made to last. It's not only very inexpensive, but it's also when, when we don't pay for things at their true value, our brain says that's not valuable. And I don't have to care about it. If I didn't invest a lot of money in the first place, right. it doesn't really matter how long that, that lasts. And that keeps pushing that cycle anyway, because if your dress from two weeks ago disintegrates in the washing machine, it's fine. I'm going to go spend 10 bucks and get the latest thing. And now there's been 30 new styles out since then. Right. So it all sort of compounds upon each other. And it has really changed the way that the fashion industry operates. Some of these businesses have been really, really successful, but of course there's always a cost to this. So Sarah, we focus a lot on the environment and sustainability. How does the production, the use, and the disposal of our clothing impact our planet? And if you want to just pick one, maybe we can expand, expand upon it and then you can pick some others. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in the creation of textiles, but I just, I feel like I mean, it's got to depend a little bit on what you're making, right? But if you have man-made fibers, I mean, some of those things, it's basically plastic, right? Is that correct? Like it's made from petroleum? It's literally right? made from like, yeah, yeah oil. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're taking, you're consuming resources, obviously. And then, I mean, you just think about a factory in general, I'm sure there's lots of uh, emissions just from the production of that, probably lots of water, heating and cooling and that sort of thing that you're using. I mean, but even if it's a like cotton, you know, there's an environmental impact of, of cotton through things that we've talked about before. I mean, there's water use there, there's pesticide, herbicide runoff uh, impacts there from the production side, I guess. So it depends a little bit on on what material we're talking about. Yeah. You've covered, I mean, a lot of the different things that are issues. So you think about your standard factory, you're probably like in your mind envisioning smoke billowing mm -hmm. out of the top. So let's first start with carbon emissions. Anytime we consume something, especially something that has a petroleum base to it, we're literally like burning fossil fuels to produce some of these items. Now, according to an article at Box, basically, if you Google like what is the carbon impact of the fashion industry, you're going to find a bunch of different numbers. And according to an article in Vox by Alden Wicker, we actually don't have a very good idea of what our carbon impact is in the fashion industry. All of the places that a lot of the information comes from is not like something you would consider good enough to be in a peer-reviewed journal. Mm. Um, so some of the stats that say like eight to 10% of our carbon emissions can be attributed to the fashion industry, which is absurd. Like that's a lot, but we don't actually have really good things backing this up. I've also seen this be anywhere from four to 10%, which is a really big range. Mm -hmm. um, there's also statistics that we produce anywhere from 80 to a hundred. I, I think I wrote this wrong. I believe it is billion garment pieces each year instead of million garment pieces each year. Yeah. Billion, which is a very wide range, but we actually don't have very 
precise statistics and we don't have anything that's really peer reviewed. However, we can basically assume that the production of all of these things and the shipping and advertising and putting them in stores all have a carbon cost to them. We just don't really know what that is. Um, you also mentioned water. Um, according to Forbes, one report showed that in 2015 alone, the textile sector used 79 billion cubic meters of water. And the UN estimates suggest that 80 to 90% of the wastewater from that was returned to the environment untreated. Um, yeah, double. Oof. <laughs> A lot of this is things like dyes and treatments for production. So like your, your, your dyes come from some sort of area and end up in those environments. And this is a lot in a lot of countries that already face a lot of environmental degradation and the people already don't necessarily have rights to clean water that are, are taking in the, the big impacts of these. But it also includes pesticide runoff from cotton farms as well. Cotton is an extremely resource intensive crop to grow um, no matter where you're growing it. And yes, pesticides are used pretty heavily on those crops. And you also mentioned that like synthetic fibers are basically plastics. So let's talk a little bit about that. What do you know about microplastics, Sarah? I know this is where I feel like I have to crawl under the table because I do have so many synthetic fiber things. Um, We're going to talk about it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, do, I don't know too much about it other than that this is something. I mean, I don't feel like it's that long really that we've realized that this is an issue, right? Uh, maybe that's incorrect, but, um, but that like when you put those synthetic clothes or clothes made from synthetic materials into your washing machine, that they are actually shedding off these little tiny microfibers that make its way into our waterways. This is the same thing that we talk about, like when plastic breaks down in the environment, it it doesn't ever go away. It just breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces, which we call microplastics that can then, can then get ingested and built up into the food chain and all of that fun, fun stuff. Microplastics is one of those things that make me want to crawl under a table and hide just from like the sheer enormity of it. Yeah. Uh, Cause it feels so ubiquitous. Um, about 60% of fabrics, according to New York times are synthetic. Therefore, when they do shed fibers, you can think about like everyone's familiar with what yarn looks like. And we know that it is basically like wool all twisted together. A lot of our clothing is like made of threads that are like that. It just might be synthetic threads all together. And so that's where some of those fibers end up coming off. And when they did an audit of the ocean, most of the plastics in the ocean, sorry, Seaspiracy are microplastics. And 35% of microplastics are microfibers from textiles. Um, so these are generally less than five millimeters long. There's a really cool study talking about how like there's not a lot of real studies out there, but there's a really cool study that took samples from beaches all around the world and did a forensic study to find out the microplastic accumulation from polyester and acrylic fibers. And they actually found that like around the world, the amount of those fibers were very similar to places where there were just sewage discharge as well. So we're finding that this, no matter how far away you are from the source of those, they are basically everywhere. Now, while natural fibers like cotton do degrade over time, the synthetic ones do stay in the environment. And even things like plant plankton and little baby fish and those little tiny things that float in the ocean that are the basis <laughs> of a lot of the life, uh, in ocean can eat those. 
and they get biomagnified way up the food chain, all the way to us. They have found microplastics in like people's placentas and things like that. And that's where I really get like (laughs) weirded out. Unfortunately, like there are so many more than you'd expect that come out of each load of laundry. One article in nature did a study and they found that anywhere from 640,000 to one and a half million microfibers were released per kilo of laundry done under one particular study, depending on the type of garment, which like it's absurd. (laughs) So this, this really isn't just about like synthetic fibers too. There are different types of structures of synthetics that are worse than others. So some active wear, like if you've got running pants, Sarah, like they're less likely to shed fibers than fleece fleece apparently sheds really horribly, which makes me very sad because fleece is very comfortable. Yes. So, if, you know, the, the, there's different choices in, in what you have that. So that's all unfortunate. <laughs> and in addition to it, there are rampant human rights issues within the clothing industry as well. Garment workers work for pennies an hour. You cannot have a $3 t-shirt without somebody getting the short end of that stick. And the most cited kind of disaster around that is the Rana Plaza collapse in Bangladesh, where over a thousand or 1100 garment workers died when a building collapsed where they were producing clothes for brands that we consume here in the U.S. Mm. So there really is a cost to us paying so little for clothes. As one of the the activists, I think Livia Firth, um, who was in the documentary True Cost, which you can actually watch on YouTube if you want to see some of these things kind of up close. They talk a little bit, some of this stuff more in depth. She was talking about how like, hey, it's great that everybody can buy more clothes, but if we're not paying for the real cost of them, isn't it kind of like, like, are we just getting lulled into this, this idea that we live such good glamorous lives that we can buy as many things as possible without like reassessing that actually we don't make enough money to truly pay for the cost of the items that we are buying and other people around the world are paying for them with their livelihoods. So uh, we must protect people if we want to protect the planet. It's extremely important that we, we consider that when we're talking about these items too. And so a lot of these workers, especially women are being exploited and we're going to have to change a little bit of our consumption patterns if we want a better environmental impact and social impact for the clothing industry. So that's kind of the sad part of our, our episode. We're going to talk about solutions now. So I have come up, if you uh, are friends with me on Facebook, you might've seen a video that I made where I first talked about these, but if you, Sarah, you know, the R's of sustainability, right? What are those R's? like reduce, reuse, recycle, replenish. Those are. Yes. Yes. Those are right there. (laughs) There's lots more too. So we're going to use those. And so I've tried to come up with some strategies using those R's to make good choices and prolong the life of your clothing and then what to do with them when you're done. So Sarah, how do you go about buying clothing? Do you mean like how or why, or well, yeah, like like avenues, how, if, if you like picked out a particular piece of clothing in your wardrobe, like what's the likelihood of like, what's the reason that you bought it? Did you uh, buy it because it's on sale just opportunistically? Uh, gotcha. No, I'm not a very opportunistic shopper. Usually I, I do because again, I just don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy clothes. I feel like I never know what I'm doing and I don't enjoy the shopping process because nothing ever fits. So uh, I am not one to, to typically just go out and and have a spur of the moment buy. So I usually buy for a specific 
thing. I do go by one of my best friends, lifelong best friends, Megan, she's basically the one person that I enjoy shopping with. So sometimes uh, if we're together, I'll, I'll be more likely to have a spontaneous buy because it's just something fun that we do together, but we are pretty big goodwillers. Mm-hmm. If you're not from the United States, if you're not familiar with goodwill, it's just a, a secondhand giant thrift shop. Yeah. Yep. So we'll go, we'll go goodwilling, uh, and get clothes that way. But no, I'm, I'm, very rarely an impulse clothes buyer. So I'll buy, I'll buy for a purpose um, or for a fun thing. Like I said, I do these races and then I'll go buy myself all of the race merchandise and that sort of thing. (laughs) Well, it sounds like that you're at least pretty thoughtful because you're not super into it. Like it's not not really being thoughtful. It's just not, it's not a huge area of interest for me. I do get drawn in by the super sales. Like if someone's throwing a big sale at the store. Like I am more inclined to maybe purchase things. Clothing ads occasionally will get me on the internet, but also honestly, like if I'm just having like a really rough time, there's a chance that I'm going to be like, you know, what? we'll solve this a brand new look and yeah. I'll look pretty and then I'll feel better. Yeah. Um, which I think like shopping to cover up some feelings, it happens. Yeah, for sure. I think to a lot of people, Yep. but you know, like, is that going to really make me feel better? Sometimes it does like, you know, your outward appearance can absolutely influence how you're feeling. And if your clothing is outdated and you're replacing it with new items that you actually needed, like that can actually help out. But also sometimes you might find that you have a bunch of shopping bags full of things that you were looking for that endorphin rush. (laughs) You weren't really looking for what you needed. So what we're focusing on today is really trying to the first R reduce. (laughs) We're trying Mm -hmm. to reduce the amount of clothing that we take into our homes and reduce the stuff that ends up being thrown away so quickly. And to reduce, we need to first rethink how we're actually getting those clothes. So my first piece of advice is to actually look at what items you have in your wardrobe. You can take this time to prune out any things that are worn out or not appropriate anymore, don't fit. You can put them in another pile because they might be addressed in later points, but you can also try and make a list of items that you actually need instead of kind of being like, well, yeah, it'd be nice to have another shirt. It's more like, oh no, I, I can think of a specific occasions or type of event that I could really use this for. And you start kind of building a grocery list, basically grocery lists at the grocery store help you save money because it keeps you focused. And this list should be kind of the same thing where it helps you find the actual holes in your closet that need to be filled. And hopefully with things that you reuse over and over again, and also rethink like maybe things that you need to buy versus things that you do could rent. Uh, So we're talking about making sure that we can reuse these items that we're rethinking kind of the way we approach fashion that I'm not going to go to H and M and buy that $5 dress Um, because I know it's going to fall apart right away. I'm looking for something that I can wear over and over and over again. And if I can't, like, let's say you have a special event for work, there are other options. Like there's uh, rental options, like rent the runway. You can get something fancy for yourself. I know I feel that pressure. Sometimes you go to someone's wedding and you're like, right. Yeah. I wore this dress. Like we, we work in a place where we have a lot of friends who are around the marrying age. 
I've gone to so many weddings with the same people over and over again. And I like, I'm working on myself to feel less shame when I'm repeating the same dress because it's not the amount of care I care about the person that's right. getting married. It's that we're trying to be a little bit more thoughtful with, uh, with how I'm consuming clothing. Um, so you could rent an option or I you didn't can, know that was a thing. Yeah. There's a place here in the U S at least called rent the runway where you can rent like fancy clothes. And that's nice because you can get things that are like really nice. That's kind of fun. Yeah. For something that's a lot less expensive. Cause you're just renting it and then sending it back. So that would be an option or secondhand. Like you talked about going to yeah. Goodwill places. Yeah, yeah. I love Goodwill. I also, uh, one of the things that I've done too is, is thread up yes. online is a used sort of online because Ken, I'm sitting at home in my pajamas. I don't, if I don't even <laughs> have to go out to Goodwill, I don't want to do that, but I can get on the thread up. And then sometimes you can find more expensive things for cheap too. Cause I will say this is yes. where I am. I am guilty when it comes to clothes of buying the cheapest thing that is probably poorly made and going to fall apart and is, you know, maybe exploiting workers as well. So that is, that's an area that I need to, to improve on for sure. So I like going the kind of secondhand route. Yeah. I mean, secondhand, I feel like has so many like benefits. You feel like you're getting a deal, um, but you're also being, (laughs) uh, you're being environmentally friendly. I mean, we, we work in an industry where, you know, we're comfortable enough to live our lives, but we are no means like flooded with surplus cash. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, so something about strategizing this way also is that maybe you're reducing the number of items that you're buying in the first place and you can invest more money. Now that I'm an adult there, my body is changing a lot less than when I was a kid. Like I could expect to buy something new for each school season because I literally was growing out of whatever was from last time. But now that I'm an adult, like I really should be looking at clothing items that I'm going to be comfortable in the style and fit of those clothing for several years and be, or at least for many, many uses, depending on like the occasion for it. So yes, I, I love that. If you are microfiber wary. (laughs) If if that's something that you're like, that's my thing. That's what I want to focus on today. And do look for natural fibers over synthetic natural fibers still absolutely have an environmental impact, but they don't have the same sort of issues of persisting within the environment for as long as those microplastics in the synthetic fibers. So that's something to look for. And when you're going on places like ThreadUp, you should be able to get them for more cheaply than you would otherwise. Now, when you're rethinking where you're going from, we've talked about secondhand and, and really you should be looking for higher quality items. You should not be looking for something that is going to fall apart, but I, there are also options that are, are going to say like buy from this sustainable brand. And I do want to talk about why I'm, I'm not like pushing that as the solution to our problems. Um, first of all, you cannot consume your way out of an issue that is going to be better solved by reduction. I'm kind of skeptical of things where it's like, just buy this product and the environment will be solved. Right. When in most cases, not buying anything is probably yes. the best solution of all. <laughs> um, sustainable and green are also very malleable terms, right? When we use them, we could be like, this is a green option. And they could mean that by we've decided to use less water or we've treated our wastewater or it's natural fibers or it's reclaimed fibers or it's recycled products or it's you know has less carbon emissions or we've purchased green offsets like it is 
such a term that is hard to pin down. And when we already don't have a good baseline, like we don't know actually what the fashion industry's impacts are. Uh, it's very hard to be like, yeah, I'm able to measure that. The other thing is like, again, I'm comfortable. I am priced out of most of these like quote, Mm -hmm. sustainable brands. They are very expensive. And Hey, maybe that's what the actual cost of clothing is. Right. I, it's just, our wages don't always reflect the actual cost of, of the cost of living. And I don't think anyone should feel guilty because they can't afford a quote, sustainable brand, because if you can't, chances are your life already is live being lived in a way that is not the most impactful on the planet. You're probably already doing lots of things that are reducing your footprint. Um, so you sh- I just don't think people should feel like there's an environmental cost to being eco-friendly because almost always <laughs> eco-friendly practices are practiced mostly by poor people. And the other thing is we talked about, like, it's kind of a personality thing, right? Like your style, style is extremely personal. Buy things that fit your personality and that you're going to wear for a long time. Maybe you want to support a local brand or a black owned brand or uh, any sort of other brand that represents your values. That's all things that might exist outside the realm of sustainability. Also, one of the only pros I saw to the fast fashion industry is that there is an expansion of availability of plus size clothing for people. So there might be just brands that are quote sustainable that just don't cater to your particular body type. And again, not something that you should feel guilty for. Just whatever you decide to pick, try and pick something that you're going to reuse over and over and over again. And, and try not to pick everything, <laughs> try and re- reduce those things, uh, those items you're purchasing by doing a little bit more planning. And hopefully by planning, you're going to have a little bit more money and flexibility to purchase something that might be more expensive than the t-shirt from H&M. And, and like, as Sarah said, like those race shirts that she's wearing are not like sus- from a sustainable brand, most likely they're just the race shirts, yeah. um, but they're, you know, they mean something to you and they right. reflect who you are and what you've done. So So that's important. And I've said this word about a million times already, but reuse is the next R. So making sure that your clothing can be used over and over again also doesn't just mean like you have found an occasion for it, but also it means you're taking care of that clothing. Sarah, how often do you actually read the label on the inside of your clothing? That tells you how to take care of it. Never. (laughs) I will read a label usually before I buy something to make sure that it doesn't say hand wash only. And then after that, I don't check it with everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If you have a label inside your clothing, it tells you things about how you should take care of it, whether you should iron it, how you should dry it, how you should wash it. So, yeah, look at it. If it says hand wash only and you're not willing to hand wash only it, don't buy buy it. it. So we've talked about this, but what have you talked about when we reduce our impact while doing laundry? Wash everything on cold. Heck yeah. (laughs) Save yourself some time. Um, I mean, that's one of the big ones. Make sure that you're, you know, saving up for a full load. Don't do laundry more than you need to. If you've got like an eco setting on your dryer, you can use that. Um, If you have the capability, you can hang your clothes up to dry, you know, and then again, you don't have to worry about reading the label to see whether it's safe in a dryer or not. You can just hang it outside. It's true. Uh, yeah. So some of the things we talked about in episode four, I believe, which is slacker's guide to sustainability. Who knows? We're on 13. We can't count anymore. <laughs> um, I think it's uh, four. It's probably yeah. Right. We talked about 
doing a lot of those things that can actually just be really easy little changes that cost you nothing basically to help Mm -hmm. out. But turns out basically every single one of those things helps your clothes last longer and reduces microfibers. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, so yes, uh, washing your clothes at lower temperatures distresses the fibers less and makes it less likely that they're going to shed things, reducing the amount of time. So if I've got a quick wash option on my washer, do that. Liquid detergent helps out because it's less abrasive than powder. So you can use that, not drying them in the dryer at all. I mean, think about your lint trap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that sheds a lot of microfibers, but also like the dryer again, distresses, changes the shape can sometimes shrink your clothing. And so that's all things that are going to make things last less long. Um, friction is, is really like a big part of microfibers. So a full load actually helps less things like bang against each other while they're in there. And when you dry at low speeds and low temperatures, you're more likely to allow the clothing to hold on to some of those fibers. I tried to look up how often you should wash things. And I felt like, like quote, big soap was like, wash, <laughs> wash things all the time. You should wash it all the time and use all the dish detergent, you know? <laughs> Big soap, the big soap industry, big detergent industry. (laughs) I felt very like conspiracy filled, but really like more of the sustainability websites will be like, yeah, if it's not smelly or dirty, you don't really have to wash it. That's Um, my philosophy. That's I've even got like Febreze for clothing. Yeah, no, and yeah, absolutely. Right. The less you wash things, the longer they last. Like jeans, you should basically almost never have to wash, right? Yeah. Um, and unless they're soiled, like I definitely got a bunch of grease on the dress I'm wearing right now and I'm going to have to wash it. But like, unless it's soiled or smelly, you don't have to wash it right away. Like, I love it so much when my hatred for chores <laughs> combines with my wash. desire to <laughs> protect the environment. Um, I also discovered a bag called Guppy Friend which helps reduce microfiber. Um, so if you do have a lot of synthetic things, you can put them in this guppy friend, which is made of monofilaments. So basically instead of being like all rolled together, it's singular Mm -hmm. filaments across, and that will help collect all the microfibers that shed off of there and help reduce some of that runoff. Did you happen to to notice Casey? Cause I, I have thought about this before, when I've looked at these things up before, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of study done yet on how effective things like this are. Yeah. You know, if there's much out there, you know, it's the company itself that's reporting these statistics. So I'm just going to go just full disclosure. This is what they said, but they also list a bunch of places where they've tested it. They said they tested it for three years at like the German textile study industry and stuff. And they did say it reduced microfiber shedding by like 86%. Oh, dang. So like a crazy amount. I don't know. I haven't used yeah. it. I just discovered it this afternoon. And right. honestly, it's like 35 bucks. It is not like a extremely cheap option, mm-hmm. but it's something I might ask for for Christmas yeah. because I want to test it out. Apparently like it's kind of like a lint filter where you then can collect all of the little microfibers out of the, the corners that gather there. What do you do with them? I'm sure you like throw them away. Yeah. But yeah. I, I Hey, like if you wrap them up, if you like put them in some sort of other yeah. container, it's less likely that they're right. going to Absol- like yeah. explode everywhere. Yeah. You're, it's not going directly into your, right. Putting it in the trash, like yeah. it's in a trash bag. It's more likely to just kind of hang out 
it's not great. But yeah, no, no, no. I'm not. Yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to dissuade anybody from it. I was just, again, it is something that I have looked into previously. Yeah. Just haven't done much recently, so I wasn't sure if you saw anything. Yeah, I, I was impressed by that statistic, but also like my conspiracy brain was still on sure. full, full <laughs> tilts. Big detergent, big soap. I'm looking at you, big guppy friend. Just kidding. There's just a little, little thing. They were actually recommended by. <laughs> They were actually recommended by um, some sustainability companies. So that's why okay. I, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and another sustainability company was talking about how there's also like um, legislation that they want to put through. Um, it, it was proposed in California last year, warning consumers of the detriments of synthetic fibers. Now, of course, like natural fibers have their own costs too. Sure. So it, it is a little bit of a challenge when you're like, hey, this is the bad thing that's happening with this. If you're not also highlighting the bad thing that's happening with cotton so yeah anything that we do is going to have a cost so this is about just finding where how we can lessen those impacts and yes yes (laughs) reduce that's the word of the day is reduce um so the next star though is repair sarah do you know how to sew not really i don't have a sewing machine if i know how to suture uh, then you know how to sew. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you gave me a needle and thread and something with the rip in it, I could probably put the two sides back together and it probably wouldn't look very pretty, but it would get done. That's yeah, if you don't I can't to... like hem anything or anything like that. Oh, uh, that takes I mean, I could, time. right? but you it, could. it would look bad. So here's the thing about sewing guys. One, I am a big fan of like apocalypse skills running over to other parts of my life and being like good at gardening and good at sewing are two qualifications I have to be on your apocalypse team. This is something that came up a lot. I would die. <laughs> I I have some skills that help Casey out. You wouldn't let me be on her team and I would <gasps> not make it. That's what you just said. You were like, no. you have to have yeah, apocalypse in college, skills, but I you're my any. friendship. Okay. Right. Friendship is the main apocalypse okay. skill that you need. Thanks. You you wouldn't betray me. That's the important I part, really, at the end of the day. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, you don't really need to know how to sew very much to be able to repair your clothing. Um, when you have rips in your clothing, like that's going to compromise the integrity of the clothes and they're just not going to last as long. So even if you're like Andrew, my fiance, and you're like, I don't care if my basketball shorts have a hole in them I care Casey cares <laughs> um because then I sewed them all up <laughs> but like my two two things uh, a piece of the device once you've gotten yourself basically a couple of needles some pins and some colored threads is to either one find your grandma or your great aunt or your mom or or your grandpa I don't know who knows how to sew in your family let's not be sexist everyone should learn how to sew <laughs> Um, but like, ask them it's, I, I promise they will be excited to teach you. Like, this is a really good way to pass down skills over generations. You're showing an interest in something that was something that was really necessary in past times. And, uh, and chances are, especially like we were talking about, if you don't have a lot of money, like this is a way that, that people have been prolonging the life of their clothing for a really long time. Uh, if you don't have those connections, YouTube. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. You've got so many options out yeah. there and you don't have to like hem your pants necessarily. Although if you're feeling really ambitious, like more power to you, because <laughs> also if you learn how to sew nicely, you can actually make like regular clothes off the shelf, look much better on yourself and fit yeah. your body tape. Um, I mostly repair our lounge clothes. So like if I got a hole in my armpit of my shirt, I can close it, 
Yeah. Um, and if Andrew's got holes in his pants, <laughs> <he can> close <laughs> it. so they don't have to look super, super nice. They're just going to prolong the life of that particular clothing, but this is also a good way to resize items too. So you lose a lot of weight, you become pregnant, you gain a lot of weight, you go through your pandemic happy period, you know, and you, <laughs> you need your clothes to be drawn in or drawn out. This is a good way to do that. I also use it if I'm shopping online and I purchase something that doesn't fit because I didn't try it on at a time. I, I have fixed a skirt this way. That's a really easy one because it's just at like the, the line around there. And I just cinched it in a little bit. So it just gives you more options for your clothing. And if you've got something that you're really, really attached to, like this is a good way to be able to make sure that you get to keep wearing it for a longer period of time. And now we're kind of moving past the point we've, we've rethought how we're purchasing our clothes. We've rethought how we are prolonging the life of our clothes. But Sarah, what do you do when you no longer want certain items of clothing? For the most part, I do donate. Uh, I mean, by which I mean they sit in a box for a very yeah. long time until I finally yes. remember to actually take them and donate them or I'll give them away. If I, if there's something that is completely worn through, uh, sometimes I will have to toss those. Sometimes though, you can like turn them into rags and stuff like that as well. So like super old, you know, t-shirts that are finally worn through and have holes and nobody else in their right mind would, would want them. I'll do that sometimes. Yeah. Those are kind of like the two different things I want to talk about today. According to that true cost documentary. And again, we don't know how peer reviewed this statistic is, but Americans throw away like 82 pounds of textiles every year. Yeah. <laughs> What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, to be honest, like when we had our stray dog here, we used a lot of our blankets for him and I don't know if I want them back. Um, but, right. But like, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. And what ends up happening to these is that they oftentimes end up either in our landfills where basically nothing happens to them and they sit forever or they end up in thrift stores where they're not sold. So we'll talk about that in a second. The next R is recycle. And when we think about recycle for other items, we think about like basically the equivalent of throwing it away, like getting it out of our site. But really what recycling is, is keeping it within the cycle of consumption so it can be consumed again. And so this is for clothing items that are still in good shape and can be used by someone else. So the first piece of advice I have is to start hyper local. If you're like, eh, I just am like not feeling this shirt anymore hopefully over time, you're going to have less of that because you have been picking items that you've like been more thoughtful. You've been more thoughtful reduced. about exactly. You've reduced, you've been like, this really fits in my style over time. Um, but no, this is for like, <laughs> I bought this and I just don't really want it anymore. Or, Hey, maybe it doesn't fit. Like that yeah. happens too. Ask like, send out a text to your group of friends, like start a group and be like, anyone want these? I'm a big fan of like, I mean, make your money where you need to make your money, but also I kind of like the aspect, like when I got hand-me-downs when, when I was a kid, I don't think my mom ever paid for them. She just had like friends whose kids outgrew yeah. their clothes and just handed them down. And that's how we had lots of clothes when I was a kid. So you could do that if you don't have anyone who's like your size or nearby. There's also groups called buy nothing groups where that's basically the premise of them is that we, we don't buy things here. We just offer things or we ask if anyone has anything and then people just trade them and they try and do it within your neighborhood. Um, this is especially great for like children's clothing, like I said, um, or you can sell them on Facebook marketplace too. That's also an option, like make your coins where you need to make your coins. That's fine. Mm -hmm. 
Number three, it's call like a local women's shelter or a men's shelter a if you're a guy. Yeah. And see what their needs are because a lot of them might need things, especially I like to think about like business clothes. Like if you can imagine a woman mm-hmm. who's just got out of a situation where they just haven't been able to bring things with them, maybe they've been homeless. Like when we expect someone to get a job, we kind of expect them to already have all the tools necessary yeah. before they have the funds to be able to earn those tools. And so like if you've got extra pants or blazers or whatever, you don't want, or you you've changed jobs and this is no longer necessary for your work, reach out and see if there's someone who could use them. Because I think that's a great way to help pay that forward for someone who could really, really use it. And that way that person, you know, we talk about going to Goodwill and Goodwill has its place, but also like I, uh, thrift shops are, were originally meant for people who cannot afford things. And like today, this has been something that has been co-opted by people who can afford things. Yep. And I think that's like, like me, <laughs> like me too. Like again, college parties, like we would go to Goodwill. Yep. I've also found things that I have had for years from Goodwill. I don't think it's necessarily like a bad thing. And maybe someone can educate me about what the bad things are about that sort of system, but like buying secondhand thread up, whatever is great. I just think like with Goodwill in particular, it's like a dumping ground for our clothing. Sure. And then someone profits off of it who really had nothing to do with it in the first place. And they don't necessarily always like, it's just not necessarily a net good when also you could be also giving these things for free to people who need them, who don't have to pay for them at all. So if that's a shelter or a a nonprofit that you can connect with without those people having to go out there, I think that's probably a more positive. It's a great idea. And quite honestly, I'm a little bit ashamed that it never crossed my mind before. So I love that. Yeah. I love that idea. Uh, I just like, it's just something I'm trying to think about is like more of a, like basically Goodwill's kind of a capitalist, like placeholder for just being kind to each other <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, it's a, a great way to centralize something when you don't know someone personally, but we're now connected through the internet. So there's other ways to do it. There's also local thrift shops. Like there's lots of cool places. Back when I lived in Richmond, Virginia, we had a particular clothing shop that was supporting LGBTQ youth. Like that's a great place to someone who has a mission. Maybe your church has a particular thrift shop and you want to give it to them. Yeah. Try and do that. But also only 10% of clothes given to thrift shops ever get sold according to that true yeah. cost documentary. So like, it's not necessarily the most efficient way. Again, another reason why if you can find someone who wants it, it's a better option. Right. Um, but oftentimes the other stuff gets sent abroad to be like, Oh, we'll just send it out to people in Haiti or Africa. And won't they be grateful for their clothing? Um, but it ends up like overtaking the economy. This is something that's in the true cost documentary of people who make clothing there, which is in like an economic way of supporting yourself now are flooded with like cheap t-shirts from the U S that are like misprinted. And it's just, it's not good for them either. So another reason just to be thoughtful about what you are actually giving to thrift shops and seeing what they actually need. And then the last thing is you are going to have stuff that nobody wants. I got a bunch of kickball t-shirts that nobody wants. (laughs) you didn't play on my kickball team in summer 2020 or whatever. So you don't want this t-shirt. <laughs> um, so you talked about t- turning them into rags, right? Yeah. Yeah. Rags. I've cut up a bunch of t-shirts, made them into rags, especially for things that like, I don't want to use a bunch of paper towels for. It's another way yeah. to cut it out, but also Google it. 
sorry, Sarah, it looks like you have something to say. No, I was going to say, like, I know, again, with, like, the race t-shirts and you could do it with your kickball t-shirts, like, things that people, like, have an emotional attachment to but don't, can't wear or don't want to wear anymore, like, you can make quilts out of yeah. them, kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm sure there's all kinds of, again, I'm not stylish nor am I crafty, so this is, <laughs> it's not up my alley, but I'm sure there's lots of different things like that out there. Yeah. Google it. If you Google, what should I do with this old t-shirt? There will be like 10 lists of 50 things you can do with an old t-shirt. And that includes making things like reusable bags. You can make bags out of t-shirts. You can employ some of those like minor sewing skills that you have obtained since earlier in the episode. You can Google it, Pinterest it. There's crafts for kids, all sorts of different things that maybe you can look at doing. And that's a way to keep these things in in our lives a little bit longer and maybe replace other items you don't have to go out and buy a reusable bag if you can make it out of a t-shirt you no longer want you don't have to use a bunch of paper towels if you've got a bunch of rags now that you can use instead and so there are a lot of options out there so repurposing things should come before throwing them in the garbage and that's kind of the list of ours i got for building a sustainable wardrobe I love it. Yeah. Neither of us are like super, super fashion forward, like influencers. I have a friend from high school who I'm always like, you're just so like stylish and beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so like it, it does require a change for some people who are, that's their, their jam and that's their art, but maybe one of the things I like is when I was in school, they were talking about how, like actually putting regulations on people on, on corporations inspires innovation and creativity. And it's the same thing. Like when you put bounds on a project, you have to be a little bit more creative. Mm -hmm. Like maybe using some of these guidelines will help you become more creative in how you express yourself through your clothing and can do it in a little bit more of a sustainable way. Yeah. And again, I mean, I think this is no matter where you are, there might be some aspects of this that speak to you more than others. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I probably don't have to worry about the, the sort of rethink, reduce aspect well I mean but again yeah there I mean just look at my t-shirt or you know so maybe there's some more self-control that needs to needs to happen there um but yeah I mean even you know thinking about switching up where I donate sometimes too and you know that sort of thing I mean again I don't know if a women's shelter would want my old t-shirts but uh, but yeah I think I think no matter where you are on the, the fashion scale there's something for all of us to think about here yeah well, thanks for listening, guys. Stick around and we'll give you some challenges for the week. And we're back for the challenge portion of our episode. So I have basically one very vague challenge for you, I think, <laughs> which is just find one of the R's that we just talked about here and share with us how you're either planning on using them or implementing that this week. So if you are doing a clothing audit and you're doing your rethink and making your grocery list, that's great. If you're reaching out to a group to see where you can send some of your old clothing items you're trying to get rid of. Awesome. If you're like looking at your clothing tags and you're like, huh, I just found out I'm not supposed to dry this item. <laughs> cool. You buy a <laughs> guppy friend. Great. So, um, so do that hopefully and, and share it with us. And, uh, and I guess your beast mode challenge is 
do more than one, right? Like do multiple, yeah. go through the whole process and, and let us know what's going on. I already have a couple in mind. Good. For my uh, and, and when you do share with them, share us, nope, <laughs> share them with us. <laughs> Order of words. I'm, I speak for a living. <laughs> Um, share them with us on social media. So you can find us at a little greener podcast on Facebook. You can find us at a little greener pod on Instagram and Sarah, what's our email, a little greener podcast at gmail.com. So if you have anything you want to share with us, whether that is feedback on an episode, whether you have something else, you know, that that popped into your mind throughout the course of this discussion or any of our previous episodes that you want to share on. If there's news that you want us to share, if you have other episode ideas that you want to share, any of that stuff, feel free to reach out to us either by Tell email. Us we're wrong. <laughs> we're wrong. Uh, I, then feel free to reach out to us via email, or you can send us a message on Facebook or a DM on Instagram and we would love to hear from you. Hey, we appreciate all you guys. We know that there's some of you out there from other countries and people that we don't know personally listening. <laughs> we appreciate all of you equally, of course, but, uh, but thanks for being on this journey with us. Yep, thanks everybody. Whether we know you or not, we appreciate you <laughs> and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll talk to you again next week. Stay safe. Bye guys. Bye.